morning's message is going to be dedicated to the application of the text itself. And I want to begin reading at verse 25 after we ask for the Lord's blessing upon us. Let's pray together. Now, blessed God, we come to the reading and the preaching of the gospel. And we ask for your tender mercies. We ask for your love to be poured out upon us, O Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive the truth. That our minds would, Father, be cleansed of its ignorance and, Lord, you would recalibrate our thinking to a proper understanding of who you are, who we are in this world that we live in and what our true needs are. Now, Father, bless this preaching this morning to the saving of those who are not saved. Lord, may they come to an awareness of their spiritual bankruptcy. To those, Father, who know you, who are your sons and daughters already, bless them, O Lord, to know and understand more of your word clearly, that the gospel would become more precious to them today than ever before, and that Christ would be to them more precious. O Lord, come to us all, minister to us where we are now And glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to begin reading at verse 25. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest who was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
Brothers and sisters, my intention on revisiting this text is to help us understand a couple of things. The first one is the the way that Jesus engaged this lawyer, this expert of the law, when questioned by him, when tested by him, how Jesus engaged him in order to bring him to an awareness of his true spiritual condition. You might see this morning's message as how we are to engage those who are asking good questions, but possibly with all the wrong motivations. And we see that in the text, don't we? So we have this encounter, this engagement with, as verse 25 tells us, with a lawyer. And I think uh, the version that I'm reading doesn't highlight that he's a certain lawyer or an expert lawyer, but he probably was not among the bottom of the ranks of this fraternity of Pharisees. He was probably someone well-known. The text highlights this, his expertise, if you will. So we're going to spend a little time there, and then we're going to address the relationships that this lawyer has with the law. And Jesus focuses on this. What the lawyer and what the text highlights is that this, what he thought was his very strength was his weakness. What he thought was what really set him apart from all of these other, quote, covenant people was the very same thing that Jesus shows as being deficient and, well, just completely not understanding what his condition is and how he completely misuses the law itself. We're going to look at that. And then the third thing we're going to do this morning is focus on what Jesus is teaching us on being doers of the word. Well, let's look at this lawyer a little bit. And I want to bring out a couple of things that I don't think I brought out in the first message. As I've already said that this lawyer seems to be someone. He's somebody. The text seems to highlight this. And there's also an an element of of surprise when the attorney asks, or the lawyer, not exactly like our attorneys today. I mean, he was a legal expert, but he was more of an expert, quote, in the law of God. And if you look there at verse 25, he's of a rank that believes he is able to put Jesus to the test. I don't think this is a secret. I think as he as he, whether he was sitting down and he stands up and draws attention to himself to engage Jesus, the master rabbi, if you will, someone who is already gaining a reputation for being sent of God. So he feels very confident in his ability 
And he puts Jesus to the test. He is going to ask Jesus a question in order to possibly reveal that Jesus isn't of the same rank as himself. And the question that might be surprising is, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The other aspect or element that I want us to consider when looking at this engagement is that this lawyer asked a question that all of those around him would have, number one, believed he had the answer to, and number two, believed he already possessed. Those among his ranks would have already Uh, at least held the uh, understanding that this man has eternal life. That this man is a son of God. That he possesses the keys, if you will, to everlasting glory. He's going. He is one of the elect. And so to hear this uh, question brought to Jesus by this attorney in and of itself was, well, they knew he wasn't asking for information's sake. He wasn't wanting education. He wasn't trying to fill a void in his ignorance. He was testing Jesus, as the text says. But notice even the question itself. It's not what must be done to inherit eternal life. I mean, That's what you might say as a father or as a mother. Well, what must be done? Why? Because not only do I want it, I want my children to have it. I want my, you know, my husband, my wife to have it. I want my family to have it. I want my friends to have it. So teacher, what must be done to have eternal life? He doesn't ask that question. He says, what must I do? He's a very self-centered person. as he engages Jesus. And Jesus picks up on this. I mean, these are things that I believe Luke is bringing out in the text. If we spend some time reflecting prayerfully and on it and considering uh, what is before us, what we're reading, what shall I do? Now, I, I don't think he's serious, as I said, and neither does Jesus. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? Well, first of all, Jesus is going to exploit his ignorance of the law. Jesus is going to highlight that he's, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. You know, that guy. He doesn't understand what he doesn't understand. He's fully convinced of his ability and his knowledge and his understanding. He's full of himself. That's, I think, safe to say. But yet Jesus, knowing this, begins to address this lawyer. Even though Jesus is being tested, he knows that This man is trying to uh, create confusion among the listeners of Jesus. He understands that this lawyer is trying to drive a wedge 
between those who are following Jesus and Jesus. He, he knows all this. And yet Jesus still takes the time to address this man according to his ignorance. So let's look at how Jesus does address this lawyer. And I would say exploit, I mean, even though that word kind of has a negative connotation, but there is an exploitation taking place. Jesus is, and, it is, and he's deservedly so, he's coming to challenge Jesus. And so now Jesus is fixing to demonstrate that he is not a true expert of the law. Now there's a couple of things that we can see from the text. In verse 26, Jesus says to him, notice what Jesus does. Well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, Jesus is not just highlighting what the Bible says. Jesus is now drawing him out and saying, listen, well, what do you say it says? How are you reading it? How do you understand it? Tell me that. And of course, this lawyer has an answer and it's straight out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this would have been something that they, all of these covenant people would have been uh, praying and confessing, well, several times a day. I mean, this would have been on all of the houses. This would have been on the pictures. This would have been on the wall somewhere. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have this in our homes, something like this, a, a verse or these very verses or something similar to that hanging up in our home somewhere. And that would have been the case here. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and chapter 6, remember what they were talking about is as you leave the house, as you go out of your gates, as you see them on your doorpost, they would have these verses inscripturated and they would have them in these little pockets on their doorframe and they would be reminded as they go into the house or as they leave the house that God is their God and they, they serve him. So this was not a profound answer at all. I mean, it'd be like you had memorized this. You've got it on your uh, bathroom mirror. I mean, this is just like, this is everyday stuff. This is common stuff here. This is common knowledge and understanding. This is nothing profound here at all. Even though it's right. It is right. And that's what Jesus says to him. In verse 28, he says, you've answered correctly. Do this, notice the emphasis in verse 28 and even in verse 37, you'll see this, right? He says, well, do this and you will live. And this is the segue into his ignorance of the law in verse 37. And he said to him, uh, you know, he, the one who showed mercy toward him and Jesus said to him, well, go and do the same. 
that Jesus is really now pressing his true understanding of the law, even though it was the well-known portions of the law, nothing profound at all, certainly nothing secret, and that Jesus says, well, didn't do that. You know, you, you all have your pet verses, you know? You know what we say, what's your favorite verse? That's okay. You know, I mean, if you're real spiritual, you go the whole Bible. That's if you're real spiritual. For the rest of us, we all have a few verses, you know, that highlight our, our life, so to speak, and those things that touch us. And that's, that's fine. But the question is, are you living out those verses? You see, it's one thing to know the truth, but that's not enough. Well, we can go on YouTube and we can pull up all kinds of uh, testimonies of people that have walked away from the church and have become atheists. And we can hear in their story, in their narrative, in their journey of life that, well, they were raised in the church and, and they can quote the Bible. They've got portions of it memorized. But what happened, brothers and sisters? That truth did not save them, did it? See, there's something more needed. It's not a matter of knowing your favorite verse are verses. It's what I must believe and what I must do that matters. We have to complete the sentence. And we can talk more about that, but highlighting what Jesus is doing here is a master class in how to engage people, how a parent might engage a child actually how we might engage one another, how we might understand one another, how we might understand Christ as it relates to our own salvation. I know some of you have grown up in the church and your minds are full of scripture and you've sat under sermons after you know tens of hundreds of sermons and, and this is all you know, but the question is, and the question always will be, what am I doing with that knowledge? What am I doing with it? So Jesus is taking this lawyer to school, so to speak. He is highlighting his ignorance to the law because the law is two-pronged. It is what I must believe, and that needs to be accurate, by the way. And it's what I must do. If I'm not accurate on what to believe, then certainly how I apply that to my life is certainly going to reflect that ignorance, isn't it? So it's all about building up a sound biblical knowledge and understanding so that we can live out solid, healthy Christian lives that glorify God. As, as the gospel, Matthew, uh, the writer of the gospel of Matthew, he, what does he say? He says, so that, look, when people see your good works, 
Matthew 5, what do they do? They glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the goal, isn't it? That when people see us, as people get to know us, as people engage with us in, in, in any format, in any length of time, what is the result? That they see us live in such a manner that they too come under this right understanding and conviction of the law, which we're going to look at in a minute, so that they may be, have their lives spiritually and by grace amended and they glorify God in heaven. So we have to believe from the text that this attorney's, this, this lawyer's understanding of the law is quite deficient. It's common, nothing special. It's ordinary. It's like, look, it's like the tens of thousands, if not millions of American Christians that could quote John 3, 16, but not know Christ, but not know him. That's the facts. It's, um, uh, you know, I, I, I do find some amusement and at the same time, I, I know I should be training myself to weep grievously over these uh, street interviews. You may have seen some of those where they walk out on the street and they start asking people questions. And sometimes the questions are related to uh, the history of the United States. And, um, you know, that's always funny. And, and, and then there's the spiritual ones, right? And he's like, oh, are you a Christian? Absolutely, I'm a Christian. And oh, oh, yeah, do you read the Bible or do you go to church? Oh, I go to church all the time. Yeah, I love going to church. I love worshiping God. And, you know, it's, it, so they build them up. And then it's like, well, hey, uh, you know, well, uh, what are the Ten Commandments? And they, 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 they're shocked. And they're like, oh, that's a good one. That's a great question. You got me. I don't know. But brothers and sisters, if you don't know what the will of God is, how do you know you're doing the will of God? And I think we had confessed this morning, I think you confessed with me this morning, that this brand of American Christianity is basically tailored as you want it to be and you can be a Christian and that's all that matters and you know just tailor you know tailor Christ to fit yourself and you know you don't you don't need to conform to him you know just conform him to yourself and yeah you'll be all right you're in the club well I think we would agree that that's that's a lot of what people think in this country that Christianity is but it's not and we see it, don't we? We see it. How would an American evangelist engage this attorney? I mean, I guess let me just press the point here a little bit more. You know, they would hear this answer. They'd hear him quote scripture, right? And they'd be like, man, Wow. You're good. You're good. 
You've got eternal life. You see, Jesus doesn't do that. See, Jesus presses him to the full understanding of the law. Okay. Because it's not just what I have to believe that matters. It's what I must do that matters. And, and this is where Jesus begins to really highlight his weaknesses and his ignorance and his failure, really, because he should know better. Really, he should know better. I want you to understand this because the text highlights him as what? An expert of the law. It's the same thing Jesus had to do with Nicodemus when Nicodemus came searching about the kingdom of heaven and Jesus said to him, you mean you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Now, brothers and sisters, if this is the expert, this is the seminary professor, this is the college professor, this is the pastor, well, what's the congregation look like? Right? Can the congregation, can the people of Israel rise above the leadership? Can they rise above the things they're taught? Can they rise above the things they're held accountable to? I know they cannot. Because we as fallen sinners will always gravitate to the lowest available common denominator. We'll always gravitate to the least. That's our nature. That's part of our fallen nature to do so. So Jesus wants to exploit this true ignorance of the law that he really does not understand it. And he gets this opportunity when Jesus tells him in verse 28, he said, well, we'll do these things. Of course, let me say this up front. We're going to look at a few scriptures here. But notice what Jesus is, what should have been his reaction to that? I, I, I can't. I, I can't love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know God requires it, but I've never been able to do it. I'm a failure at it, and I have failed to do it. I, I failed to love my neighbor as myself. That should have been his reaction, but that was not his reaction. Because in verse 29, notice what the text says. But wishing to what, brothers and sisters? Justify himself. Now, maybe he's trying to justify a stronger position. That is, okay, I used verses that everybody in the crowd already knows, and I'm an expert. That could be part of it. I want to justify my position as the teacher of Israel. That might be that. I, I don't think so because he's, remember the question is what? About eternal life. He's seeking to justify himself. He's, he's seeking to what? Silence the question that's now been raised in his head about the law that he raised. Now, how do we do that? That is, in fact, let me, let me help you understand where these covenant people were. If, turn to Romans 10. 
Turn to Romans 10. And look what Paul says about his countrymen. He says, brethren, this is verse 1. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is my countrymen, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, how clear is that? And then we can read verse 4 as to help us as Christians understand this. Is it for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And what Paul is saying in verse 4 is, listen, Christ is the goal. He's the end. He's what the law drives you to. This is the end of the law, if you will. That is the end of this, of this use of the law in its covenant aspect. And that's the covenant of works, Right? is to build up this paradigm, uh, is a paradigm of righteousness and holiness that you can't meet. So what's the result of having a paradigm of righteousness that you're unable to meet? Drives you to Jesus. Jesus is the end of the discussion. What must I do? You must believe. In Christ, you must confess your sins and put your faith and trust in him. He's the end of this law demanding perfect righteousness from you. And you coming to the realization you are unable to fulfill that demand of the law. Is the picture getting clearer? Look with me if you at uh, Galatians three. And now, okay, what I want to point out in this text, what I want to point out in this text, brothers and sisters, is I want you to see this this paradigm of righteousness. I want you to see how Paul moves back and forth from this righteousness of the law, which is true righteousness, and the righteousness which is possessed by faith, which is Christ's righteousness, the answer to the law. And notice how he does this because these Christians were being tempted and influenced to move away from the the gospel of grace, right? That they had received their salvation by grace, move from that to now this idea that I can somehow work out my own righteousness. So they were falling under these very influential voices and teachers of the day and, and Paul's coming in to correct it. And, and here's how he does this. He goes all the way back to Abraham. He says, listen, listen. He says, um, 
Verse 6, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now notice what he just did in verse 6. He says, Abraham's righteousness was not based on works and you're the sons of Abraham. Abraham's righteousness was based upon what? The gospel, faith. Faith in that gospel, faith in Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify, there's that word, the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying all the nations will be blessed in you and then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, okay? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Let's stop there. Notice the curse lies on whom? Who does the curse lie upon? Those who do not keep the law perfectly. That's all the sons of Adam. Now you can keep the law on Sunday. Okay, good job. But what about Monday? What about Sunday night? What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? What about, see, the point is the law demands perfect obedience and perfect righteousness and perfect loyalty and perfect obedience and perfect consecration. That's what the law does. That's all the law can do. The law does not dispense grace. The law sets up a righteous, holy standard as the will of God and that's the standard. It doesn't change. You know, I'm watching some of these videos. I go back, I'm watching these videos and, you know, I'm saying, are you a good person? And they always go, yes, I'm a good person. Oh, well, let's test it out. Have you ever told a lie? Ah, yeah, yeah, you got me on that one. I've told some lies. Have you ever lusted in your heart? Ah, you got me on that one too. Yeah, I lusted in my heart. Well, have you ever stole anything? Yeah, 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 I mean, you know, have you, ever take, have you ever taken God's name in vain? Yeah, yeah, I've done that too. Have you ever coveted someone else's possessions? Yeah, okay, I've done that one too. Have you ever disrespected your mom or your dad? Yeah, I've done that one, yeah, um, so what you're just confessing me, you're a good person on one hand, and on the other hand, you're a lying, cheating, you know, lustful, blasphemer who doesn't respect their parents. But do you still think you are a good person? Yes, I do. You still think you're a good person? Yes, I do. They are just enveloped in darkness. And Satan has blinded their minds so they can't see their condition. Well, Paul says, right? He says, listen, he, he, he says, 
this law held forth this perfect standard. And he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Not the law, but what? The curse of it. Christ didn't take away the law. Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, I come to establish the law. That heaven and earth would pass away, but not one jot or tittle from the law would ever pass away. Paul says in this epistle that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And we see this is this demand, this is part of the, the law and gospel, isn't it? Well, turn to Romans 5, let's, I mean uh, Romans 7. I, I, I'm going to go here and then we're going to make some, applica- uh, some more applications out of Second Peter. Look at Romans 7, listen, so why use the law? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking this lawyer to school. He's demonstrating that he has a very shallow and misleading understanding about the law because if he understood the law, he would know one thing, that I'm under the curse of it and I need help. I must have a remedy to this curse of the law that abides on me because I'm unable to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm unable to love my neighbor as myself. I cannot do it. I don't even want to do it. And even when I want to do it, I do it half-heartedly. At that, at best, Why use the law? Because what Jesus is doing is not only is he exposing the ignorance that this lawyer has concerning the real value and place of the law in the life of God's world and even in our lives today, he's demonstrating that he is trying to awaken this man's conscience to his own need to his own weakness. He's trying to open his eyes to his own deficiencies and pollutions and corruptions. Look at Romans 7. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would have not known or I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting in the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was the result, in, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Paul says, listen, I didn't realize how, how bad I was till the law told me not to do something. You know, I have a granddaughter. You know that. You've heard me talk about her. 
you know, she's 16 months and, you know, I say, don't touch that remote. Don't touch the TV remote. And I'll be reading, you know, and I look up and she's like this. Hey, she's 16 months old. And as soon as I say, don't you do it, she grabs it and takes off. There is something about us when we're told not to do something, isn't it? Like, Tim, you know, you know uh, one theologian that you would all know if I told you the name, he says, you know, and he gives this illustration. He says, you know, when you're on the airplane and it says, you know, don't touch the smoke detectors in the bathroom, he said, I wanted to go touch that smoke detector. He said, why did they even say that? But now that they've said it, I want to go touch it. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about how the commandment excited in him the sin. Now, when every time Paul started coveting, what was he thinking? The commandment is killing me. But this lawyer hadn't come to that place. And Jesus is using the law back on him and say, wait a minute, go do likewise. You need to go do these things. He's not getting it. He's not aware of this. He still thinks he's okay. Look at Romans 3. Look at verse 20, or, or listen to 19. Now, now we know that the, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Well, here's what, okay, verse 19 says, listen, all of the whole world lies under that covenant of works that demands perfect righteousness given to Adam. All of Adam's posterity lies under the curse, the condemnation, the, the, the failing to keep the righteous standard of the law because they were created to keep it. Remember what God said to Adam, the soul that sins shall die. So that's what Paul is referring to there. And he says, because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ or in Jesus Christ for all those who believe and there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Meaning since all are under the curse of the law, there's no one that can be saved apart from the righteousness of Christ. That means everybody needs to believe in Jesus both Jew and Gentile. Brothers and sisters, there's the mirror. James says the law is a mirror. And blessed is the man that is able to look into the mirror 
of the law of liberty and see himself for who he is and make amendments. But woe to the person that looks at the law and doesn't see their insufficiencies. Because even now as Christians, as believers, as those who have come to this humility of your own sin, and that's what it is, is it not? We've all come, if we believe in Jesus Christ, the law has brought us to this humility of ourselves. I am a wretched sinner before Christ. And I need salvation. I'm not a good person. I know all day, every day, all throughout the year, people are going, you're such a good person. I I understand those pleasantries. I get it. But we are not good people. Good people need salvation because God sees them for who they are. And even as Christians, even as Christians, we have this vital relationship now with the law through Christ and we have it set before us as a standard of obedience and we fall short of it all the time, don't we? And what does that do? It drives us to our knees. Oh Lord, don't stop having mercy on me. Lord, there's no room in my life for pride and arrogance. Who am I to exalt myself over my brothers and sisters? I am wretched. Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Paul even said, I am the worst of all these apostles. Why? Because he understands I fall mightily short of the standards of God. Well, we know that the lawyer did not come to his senses. Now, we, at least here. Maybe later on he did, right? If he's the elect, these piercing words of Christ, he never would be able to get rid of, right? He would constantly be thinking about go and do, go and do, go and do likewise. Man, look how this guy, look how the Samaritan loved his neighbor. Look how he sacrificed, look how he gave, look how he gave of his resources, his time, his effort, his money, all of those things. I mean, he even went out of his way to make sure he was, I don't love like this. I need a savior Our last text of scripture that I want us to look at this morning as we bring application to that parable is first, I mean, excuse me, second Peter one. I want to just point out a couple of things to you because I want to, I want to end on being a doer. I want to end on being a doer. So we, we've talked about the lawyer. We've talked about the relationship he has with the law his misunderstanding of it, how Jesus uses it rightly in his life in order to what provoke him to see how sin is full of, his heart is full of sin. And then now let's talk about being a doer of the word. Um, Look at verse 10. Now, again, here's Peter. He's writing this second epistle and he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Now let's stop there. Now 
Now, brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about here is not earning your salvation. You can't earn it. It's by grace. You can't obey your way into heaven. Your obedience and my obedience at best is full of, full of maggots. It's deficient. It's, it stinks. It's, it's only accepted because Jesus sanctifies it. That's why Jesus is our everything. That's why Jesus says in, in John chapter 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. We can do nothing apart from him. That's the point, right? But there are things that we do in this life that we're to be diligent at as to produce the evidence of this grace. We have a responsibility of those who have come to know Jesus and now we have that duty and joy of saying, I'm gonna live in such a way that I'm going to highlight the efficient, powerful, changing grace of God in my life so that he gets all the glory. And that's what, Paul, that's what Peter is saying is therefore be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Meaning, brothers and sisters, if you could care less, if you couldn't care less about how those around you think of your Savior, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. If you don't think your life is important to that grace and that you owe something to that grace, just like we owe our parents love, right? If you don't think you owe that type, that kind of love to Jesus, you're not a Christian. That's the point. If you could be, this would be just nothing. You don't make statements like this if it can be one or the other. I mean, if it can be both. Make, be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. I'm going to make sure the world knows Jesus has saved me. And that's what he's saying. For as long as you practice these things, right? As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble Let's look at these, and I think you're going to get the picture. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus will be abundantly supplied to you. What he is saying is this, is what I've already said weeks ago, brothers and sisters, the second table of the law is the, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Because we can worship God, we can come to church, and we can put on our Christian jewelry. I mean, you know, we can be against everything that, you know, you ought to be against. But how do you love each other? John said, if you don't, you're not a Christian. This is what Peter is saying. The second table of the laws where the rubber meets the road. What did Jesus tell the lawyer? Go and do likewise. And notice what he says. He says, practice these things for the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. That's how important they are. I preach them all the time and have been established in the truth which is present 
with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, what are these things? Well, look back up at verse 9. He says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain your calling and choosing of you. I mean, back up verse 6, I'm sorry. All right, 5. This moral excellence. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Why, you can't have moral excellence without knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. Be careful of what you learn. Know what to do with it. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love or charity. See, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop there. That's what I want to end this message on. I want us to think about this week. How are we with doing the law? It doesn't save us. It drives us to the one who can save us. The gospel, the good news is the, 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 the message that we have a remedy to our own righteousness which is completely deficient and we must have the righteousness of Christ given to us by grace. And when that becomes ours, beloved, how shall we live? There's a lot of people, here's the point. I'm gonna make it again. I've already said it a couple times. But I love you. And I want all of you to go to heaven. The lawyer knew the word. He quoted it. But he didn't know it. He didn't know how it fit in his life to drive him to Jesus Christ so that he might have this abundance entrance into that eternal kingdom. He didn't know that. He was, he was depending on himself. He was betting on himself. And he's going to lose that bet. I want us to realize, beloved, the law after driving us to Jesus Christ becomes for us that loving standard of grace whereby we judge our sanctity. We judge where we are. I know what that says. I know I, know, I, know I should love my mom and my dad. And I, man, I, I've had a hard month doing so. I need to repent. It shows me how to be sanctified, how to pray. It shows me what to work on. Because what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, faith does not make the law void. It establishes it. Now, brothers and sisters, let's be doers of the word. Let's pray. Now, blessed God, we are reminded by looking at this parable, the high standard you have of righteousness. Lord, it's impeccable. It's, it's rich. It's, it's good. It's perfect. 
And Lord, we don't meet it. And we must have Jesus Christ to come and silence that holy demand of the law for justice. And Father, any who are here this morning that will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will have that law silenced in him. And then as Christians, Father, as we look at your law, may it be sweet to us like honey. May it be a good standard of life. May we even use the Good Samaritan to say, how should I love my my brother here today? How should I love my sister? Well, let me use this. And we lay the word of God out there and you show us how, Lord, you show us what your will is as it comes to loving one another. And we'll do so gladly by the power of your spirit, the working of the gospel in our hearts. And Father, we won't do it perfectly and forgive us, Lord, when we fail at it miserably and even make it worse, situations worse by how we act. Forgive us. But let today be a, ref- a refreshment of mind and heart, Lord, to the, to the, to the gospel, to the, to the means of grace, to the covenant of grace, that we would love you, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength in Christ, and we'd love our neighbor as ourselves in Christ. And it'd be gospel obedience, evangelical obedience. And Father, we commit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord did not leave us without uh, means 